growing up, I came across a certain uh, Cherokee proverb that really changed how I viewed life. And it was really important to me, not only because I could relate to, uh, relate to the proverb, because, but because my parents uh, told me all of my life that I was actually part Cherokee. Until, of course, I took a DNA test, which told me that my parents were complete liars. <laughs> but still, uh, this proverb is significant because it gives insight to the battle with self-control that we all experience. There was an old Cherokee who was teaching his grandson about life. The old man said to the boy, a fight is going on inside me. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, uh, love, hope, uh, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every person too. So the grand, uh, grandson thought about it for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather, well, which wolf's going to win? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Well, tonight, we're finishing our series on the fruit of the Spirit by talking about the last fruit listed, self-control. And honestly, it's a fruit that I really struggle with. And with this, tonight, we're going to be focusing on what the Bible teaches about overcoming these, these different areas in our lives where we lack self-control, whether it's quitting something that we shouldn't be doing or starting something that we should be doing. Like the old Cherokee said, and really, like the Bible says, this, this problem, this lack of self-control is something that we all experience, some perhaps more than others. And what's important to know about this struggle with, with self-control is that, that it's not a recent one. In fact, the problem and the struggle with self-control starts all the way at the beginning with Adam and Eve. You see, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were overcome with this desire for something that God warned them against. Still, they chose to, to feed that deep wolf inside with the fruit from the tree that they were forbidden to eat. And since then, humanity has been plagued with sin. This desire to feed something that we know we should not feed, this, this plague is evident in our inability to practice self-control well. And the Bible actually includes story after story after story of this. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, could not control his jealousy, so he ended up murdering his brother, Abel. Years and years later, Abraham, the father of Israel, could not control his fear, so he's found time and time again lying in order to save himself. Moses, Moses couldn't control his anger and his rage, so he ended up committing murder. Laban couldn't control his greed and took from and mistreated everyone around him. And King Saul, the first king of Israel, a man who had so much promise and so much potential, couldn't control his insecurity, his need for approval over David. So he ended up losing his kingdom 
and he committed suicide. And Joseph, Joseph started his life so terribly ended up living his life extremely well. And the only difference between Joseph and David, whose experience was the opposite, was that Joseph could control his sexual desires and David could not. And this goes on. In the New Testament, we read that the disciples couldn't control their own pride and they constantly compared themselves with each other, wanting to be the best. They even promised to be by Jesus' side regardless of what could happen, only to end up not being able to control their fear. And they fled from him. You see, the Bible is woven with people from whom over and over again experienced a lack of self-control. And the Bible's trying to communicate to us not that self-control isn't something that we just should be aware of, but it can make or break your life. Proverbs says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. We try to live sober or we try to live our lives in a sober way or, or we perhaps try to use alcohol in a healthy way, but our unhealthy desire for an excess amount of alcohol can break our lives. We try to abstain from sexual immorality so that we can give our spouse all of us, but our sexual desires can so quickly lead to pornography and adultery, and we can find out that our lives are just broken and shattered. I mean, with so many desires that, we, that are inside of us that we're trying to get a handle on, today we're going to look at the answer or an answer to how we can handle this, this problem of self-control because the Bible has a lot to say about it because it's something that we all struggle with and something that we all need. Now, there's one particular passage in the Bible that's in the New Testament that, that talks not only about the importance of self-control, but the why behind self-control. To the church of Corinth, the apostle Paul wrote, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, no. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, I want to take a moment and uh, talk about the two words used there, strict training. So in the Greek, those two words, they actually mean exercise self-control in all things. But since we don't have a direct English counterpart for, for these, these words, this phrase, we're left with the translation, strict training. And Paul, here he's using examples of running and boxing to communicate how we can exercise self-control in all things. Athletes, they go into strict training, and they do it, and they compete so that they can win the crown, so that they can win the prize. 
And Plato, way, way, way back when, even mentions that if an athlete lacks self-control in, in uh, these early games, if they slip in regards to diet or exercise, that they'd actually be disqualified. But the point of this passage isn't to just encourage self-control, but to explain the why behind self-control. Why do we have self-control? For the prize. For Christians, for us, for followers of Jesus, to run. To live our lives in such a way that we can get the prize. So a few years ago, uh, I found myself just going deeper and deeper into Netflix binging. Have you ever done that before? Like you find yourself slowly, people are like, where is he? Like he's Netflix binging. And I had this routine that I would make what I called healthy nachos, which weren't healthy, but I'd lie to myself. And I'd make these, because all of it was at Trader Joe's and everything at Trader Joe's is healthy. I would make these nachos and I would just get sucked deeper and deeper into the couch. And, and I would just go through like Netflix show after Netflix show until I watched this documentary on healthy eating and a healthy lifestyle. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to try paleo. Now, I don't know if you've tried paleo before or any diet like that, but long story short, my experience was what I like to call a little slice of hell on earth. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like trying to hate on all you, if you like paleo, if you're doing that, I'm definitely not trying to hate on that. But it's, it was actually one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. I mean, I found myself cheating like every day and <laughs> it was bad. And, and not only was I cheating, but after two months, I just gave up. Like I was done. I threw in the towel because after two months, the, I came to the realization that my heart didn't want the prize as much as it wanted my comfort and nachos. <laughs> well, what's interesting about uh, the average Olympic athlete today, you know, we have the, we have the uh, Olympic Games, is that today the average athlete undergoes strict training, pardon me, very strict training, and they do it with physical endurance and what they eat. In all things, Olympic athletes exercise self-control. I mean, I'm sure there's times where they want to watch Netflix and, and eat nachos, but they exercise self-control. When they want to take time off of their just super intense physical activities that's, that's required for their training, they don't. They exercise self-control. And when they need direction, when they need help, when they feel like they, they are no longer in control, they rely on their coach. They rely on their team. I mean, no athlete is in it alone and no athlete can do it alone. They'd fail every time. And that's why here we have life groups. That's why we encourage counseling. That's why we encourage finding someone to be accountable with. That's why there's groups like AA and NA. There's groups for people who struggle with sexual addictions. And if you find yourself having just a stigma around these groups, that needs to be erased. If we wanna exercise self-control in all things, we need a team. We need coaches. We were not meant to run the race alone. We were meant to run it together. Athletes know that. In all things, they exercise self-control. And why? 
because they wanna win the gold medal. They wanna win the crown. They want to win the prize. Nothing else matters to them. For them, self-control is less of a matter of will and more of matter of the heart. It's about setting your heart on the prize and doing all that you can do to strive towards that prize. And although willpower, we hear just have enough willpower when it comes to self-control, although willpower is extremely helpful with self-control, the point of the passage is when you set your heart on the prize, all other desires will fall into alignment. It makes us question what our hearts really want because we will go after whatever prize we set our hearts on. In the Old Testament, there was a young man named Jacob who worked for this deceptive and just really kind of cruel boss named Laban for seven years. And he did this so that he could marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, because Jacob was in love with Rachel. And even though the work was very hard, I mean, Jacob could have backed out at any time. He didn't. In fact, the text says that the work he did for seven years only felt like a few days because of his love for Rachel. So why did Jacob endure so much hard work from such a cruel boss? Because spending a lifetime with the one that he loved, Rachel, was his prize. What's your Rachel? What's the prize of your heart? Is it success? Is it power? Is it being attractive? Is it being loved? What are you working towards? And while these might not be all bad in and of themselves, when we make different things the prize of our hearts, we can often find ourselves stuck in the battle, just trying to decide which wolf to feed. If success is your prize, then there may be times where you have to be deceitful. There, there may be times where you might lie in order for you to achieve that prize. And people do it all the time. They feed that wolf and they say that it's okay because it's a wolf that this world commonly feeds. If happiness Happiness is a good thing, but if happiness is your pride, then there will be times where we throw and we put others down so that we can be lifted up. We feed the wolf of selfishness. And since there are just so many prizes luring our hearts, what can we do? I mean, how can we ever find the right path to walk towards the right prize? Galatians 5 says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And it goes on, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, 
that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit means to choose Jesus as your prize. To say no to the things that will lead us away from the path towards him. To choose the Spirit, not the flesh. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that our, our bodies, our, our physical flesh is bad. We are body people. God created our bodies. He created our senses. Our bodies are good. And the Bible teaches us that. Rather, flesh refers to the, the, the desires to disobey God, to eat of the fruit, to feed that bad wolf. Flesh means sin. Instead, we are to to walk by the Spirit, to follow God's ways above our own towards our prize. When Jesus, you see, when Jesus is our prize, when we fix our eyes on him, we'll stop asking questions like, what do we want? And we'll start asking questions like, what does he want? And how can I align the things that I can control to do them? You see, Jesus knew that, that, that we, the only thing we could honestly control is ourselves. We don't have control over God. We don't have control over others. That's why Jesus said that the entire law, what Jesus wants us to do to love others and to love him, things that we can control to make the, to make the decision to give love and to do it in all things. That's why he says to do that because he knows those are the things that we can control, and he asks us to do that, to spend our lives living for the sake of our prize, Jesus. Jacob, he spent his life living for the sake of his prize, Rachel. She was his joy. His self-control was fueled by joy power not willpower. Even though willpower can be very helpful with self-control, if Jacob only had willpower, he would have ended up burning out, given up. But Jacob would endure anything for his joy. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. But why? I mean, why would Jesus ever endure such a thing? And why does it have to do with, like, what does it have to do with joy? Now, for Jesus, that answer is easy. Because of you. You are Jesus's prize. You see, Jesus knew that we would not win in our battle with sin. He knew that, that the wages of Adam and Eve's sin, the wages of all of our uh, sins was death. So he paid that price for us. He paid it for you because living eternally in love with us 
is his prize. You are his joy, and he will endure anything for his joy. That's why he was nailed to the cross. That's why he rose again three days later, defeating death so that death would be defeated in you. He knows your deepest struggles. He knows where you lack self-control. He knows because he's been there. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus did not feed that wolf. Jesus chose to go through the things that we go through so that he can help us when we go through them. And the thing about Jesus is that he gave us the greatest helper imaginable as we exercise self-control in all things, the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says that we are able to walk with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not an emotion. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit, yeah, all the Star Wars fans just got mad. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling, uh, the force, an emotion. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a part of Jesus, and he is able to help you, to walk with you through any temptation to lead you to Christ, our prize. And now I actually, actually want to pause. Just, just take a second, pause for a moment. And I want to say that if you are experiencing inward struggles, if you feel like right now, this past week, this past month, that yeah, there actually are two wolves just deep inside of me that, that, are, that are fighting for your intention, both wanting to be fed. If you're experiencing doubt, if you're experiencing distance from God, if there is an inner conflict going on within you, then God might be closer to you than you think. It might just be a sign that you are caught in the middle of a conflict that you are supposed to be caught in the middle of. In fact, if you're not wrestling in terms of your faith, if you're not struggling with, with, with questions and the sense that God is not as close as you like, then the chances are that you have not taken a side on this conflict yet. There's a movie that came out a while, while back called The Sixth Sense. And in The Sixth Sense, in that movie, some people were dead and some people were alive. But the thing about the dead people was that the dead people didn't know that they were dead. So if you feel dead, the chances are that you're not. When we walk with the Holy Spirit, we will experience struggle, conflict, that faith is a battle and it's a sign that you are actually right where you're supposed to be. That feeling that God is further than you'd like him to be is a sign that he's actually nearer than you think because dead hearts don't know that they're dead. 
You are growing. You are being stretched. You are being matured. And it's all a part of the experience of walking with the Holy Spirit, a walk that's full of grace. No matter how many times you stumble, no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many times you fall, it doesn't matter about that. It matters that you get up and that you walk, even if it's a step, even if you need to ask someone to help you walk. He's like a father. When a, when a father has a toddler, he just wants the toddler to begin to walk, and he's cheering the toddler, and the toddler will take a couple steps, but the toddler will fall, and the father doesn't get angry at the toddler. The father gets down, loves the toddler, holds him, and, and brings him up and says, try it again, and that is the same thing with you. You are loved. And the more we walk, the more we love others, the more we love ourselves, the more we feed that good wolf, we'll find that the fruit of selfishness in our lives are slowly being replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. And that is a fruit that everyone's hungry for. That is a fruit that everyone wants to eat. And when we see this, this, this fruit in our lives, when you notice this, this fruit in your life, it lets you know that you're running down the right path, that we're living for the right prize. And soon, soon, the joy before us will be the joy among us. Soon, very soon, we will receive our, our prize. Soon, very soon, the race will be over. But until then, we strap our shoes on, we go outside, and we run in such a way as to get the prize. Let's pray. Jesus, There are so many times where I stumble, where I fall. God, I feel like the least qualified person to be up here talking about this. Self-control is so hard when temptations are all around us. It's so hard when so many things are wooing us. When that wolf, that bad wolf, when it seems that that wolf has defeated the other wolf. God, if there is someone in here right now that, that, that has been going through their days, putting a smile on their face, but inside they are wasting away, God, I pray that tonight can be the night where they come to you fully, where they give control of their lives up to you, the one who is in control of everything. So during these next two songs, God, I pray that your truth, your life, and your love 
can become evident in our lives. God, like Moses, when he saw the burning bush and, and, and you said, take your sandals off for you are standing on holy ground. And, and Moses, the one who fled, the one who murdered, he did not feel like he could be on holy ground. Tonight, God, I pray that we come to a place where we realize that we are on holy ground because the holy one is among us. We can take our sandals off. We can take our self-loathing off and truly come to you, the one who is in control of everything and gave everything up for us to experience your love. In your name we pray, amen.